Welcome to SEC Live here on Tuesdays, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, noon Central Time on that SEC Podcast YouTube page and, of course, 440 Sports as well. And when Aaron Dugan, as usual, Michael Bratton, Braden Gall here, when Aaron Dugan arrives, she arrives. And when she does, she brings the thunder and we'll see when she shows up. So we'll see what happens. No, uh, Aaron will be here uh, working through some stuff there with her team over at the Cast Collective. So, uh, all right, lots of stuff to get to today, Mike. First of all, good to see you. And um, uh, I've got we've got some thoughts on Missouri since apparently you think I hate Missouri. Yeah, but I do not hate Missouri. I've been the one championing Missouri all off season before cousin Shane was on Missouri. I was on Missouri. I think they're going to be really dangerous on defense. So we'll talk about the recruit and what it means. Number one, number two or number three player, depending on where you look on the rankings. Um, yeah, but you also said kick him out of the SEC just a week ago. So I'm confused. Is, OK, we're beginning the show as usual with putting words in my mouth. And I don't appreciate that about you, sir. I like many things about you. That is not what I said. We can said, rewind oh, the tape. I said Paul Feinbaum <laughs> shows, said that. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Well, same same thing. I'm putting words in Paul Feinbaum's mouth. It's totally different. Gotcha. Uh, make sure you turn on the notifications, of course, uh, at 440 Sports, at Braden Gall, uh, at that SEC podcast, at Aaron Dugan, uh, the Yay. Aaron Dugan, of course, Aaron underscore Dugan on instagram we never know exactly when you're going to show up dude I, I will say that that was very i was really cutting it close there but i was in before the intro ran but michael was obviously trying to run the intro so he's very busy he's a very busy man okay so we're <laughs> going to get into florida naming a quarterback other quarterback battles offensive uh co coordinators that are brand new across this conference uh, i had a chance to go out to vanderbilt practice and i had a few observations i wanted to see what you guys thought uh when when i actually got to you know, heaven, heaven forbid a football coach open up his practice and let people watch what happens. I'm assuming Vanderbilt's going to lose at least three more games this year because we, the media, got to actually watch them practice. Because uh, that's sarcasm. I assume, I, I assume, yeah, I assume that's what what is nervous, what makes Kirby nervous and Nick nervous and all these guys. They don't, they, you can't watch practice. There, there's a competitive advantage to be gained. I guess I don't know. Anyway, some some and some 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 offensive coordinators and some. Some stuff like that going to be today's primary discussion. Coordinators we're buying into, offenses we're buying into, quarterback battles we're buying into, breakout names, and then names we're concerned about. We'll get into all of that today, as usual. If you want to comment, please jump into the comments. We do appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll let you steer the ship if you've got some good questions and some good commentary. And as usual, we do appreciate it. See, there you go. Hey, <laughs> there, there we go. God. Um, okay. Thank you, Michael, for that. Uh, let me let me start real quickly with uh, the Graham Mertz stuff, Mike. I know you guys talked about it a little bit on your pod, and I think this kind of dovetails into the conversation about Joe Milton, about Spencer Rattler, about maybe Jackson Dart. There's a few guys that have been around in the game for a while that are going to get get their chance this year to have bigger seasons. And I, I don't, you know, I think Milton and Rattler, for example, are, are far more talented than Graham Mertz. But Graham Mertz came out of high school as a big time four star recruit. He's going to be the starter. I guess my question is, shouldn't we expect all these guys to have their best season now that they've been in college for 14 years? And isn't that <laughs> fair to expect them to have their best season? The question is, wh what does that look like? What is their best season? I would say no, because I think when you, we've seen you for three plus seasons, you, you just you are who you are. You are who we've seen. And there's just not many guys that have been average at best for three years and then have this big breakout year and. I mean, there are there, the examples out there are maybe like Joe Burrow, but you know, first two years he didn't really play, and and I think that's a bad example because even his junior year he was solid. He was not spectacular, but he was solid. And some of these guys that we're referencing, 
I mean, when were they solid? Uh, I mean, Rattler, if you're talking about Rattler or Milton or Mertz, mm-hmm. I, I could argue that Rattler's had the most consistent season when he was a freshman back at Oklahoma. Uh, Milton's had some... He got benched twice that year, I believe. No, I, I, I said the most. It's <laughs> <laughs> all relative. Of the group. I mean, but Graham Mertz and Joe Milton actually have identical, like they had one elite game in like 2020. And that's and that's kind of it. The difference is Milton had a couple of games last year. Uh, but again, same thing with Jackson Dart. Really good couple of games as a freshman. He did have an entire season starting last season. So I think that's the difference is at least Dart had a full season under center. Yeah, and like with with Graham Mertz, it's like we ha- you have seen ups and downs, even like a program like Wisconsin that is not always at the very, very top, but is like rel- relatively consistent when it comes to college football. But he has had some ups and downs. I mean, it's hard – you know, you can't exactly say how a player is going to fit into a new system. And if like, what was his inconsistency, you know, based around some other things that were happening, you know, where he was playing, but I I don't think Florida is like quite on solid enough ground yet to say that, Oh yeah, you can plug Mertz in and he's talented enough that this system will make sure that it helps him, you know, get away from those inconsistencies. Like Florida itself isn't consistent enough to make him more consistent. So I, I do, you know what I mean? I no, mean, I, I agree. I agree. So it's just, we don't know yet. I, I like, uh, first of all, you put, you threw it up there, Mike. Travis, Graham Mertz is a starting quarterback at Florida. Best case scenario. Getting their asses <laughs> beat by Kentucky. That's not us. That is Travis. Uh, liquid flame. And I think this is probably about right. Graham Mertz is going to be serviceable, and that's all he needs to be. I, you know, does I think that's probably about right. Again, I think it's fair to accept to expect Graham Mertz to have his best season as a player. I just don't know what that looks like. Yeah. I, I, you know, he started a lot of football games. You know, and and hasn't really been helped by his offense at Wisconsin. Wisconsin really? offense was not particularly diverse. And well, it's not going to Utah is going to be a tough first showing too. I don't know if this is fair or not, but I don't know if you guys saw Anthony Richardson today was named starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Does that help hurt Billy Napier? No effect at all because I mean he he did he didn't look like. You know, a top four SEC quarterback for most of the year, yet he was the fourth overall pick. He's art now. Maybe that I don't follow the Colts, so I have no idea. Maybe they've got virtually nothing behind him, but I don't know what that says about uh, Billy Napier. That uh, you know, he essentially had a starting quarterback in the NFL last year and went six and six with Richardson. From what I understand, they were asking him to do a whole lot of stuff. Like they were, they were putting so much complexity on his plate that that's part of the problem. The defense for Florida was atrocious, and I think that's my concern for them this year: is are they going to be any better? And is Graham Mertz good enough to overcome that? I, I mean, I think we've learned. I think SEC fans should know this by now after watching football for however many years you've been alive. Quality of production in the NFL does not equal talent and scouting in, in the NFL. Like they're t- they're they're two different games almost, and so. You know, I just watched, we've watched, I know you guys reviewed it. We've watched it. Like Johnny Manziel is one of the greatest college football players in the history of the SEC. Doesn't necessarily mean he knows how to read a defense or tape or a book <laughs> for that yeah. matter. Uh, so like, I just don't, Will but Levis. Kevin is Sumlin, the, I mean, he was, at, he, his ass got fired not long after. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's an example of what I'm saying. I mean, is, is that a Billy Napier problem? You're saying they're asking him too much. Why did they ask him to do well, so Well, I mean, much? I think, too, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I don't know how much time Florida's offense spent on the field, but I have a feeling with what their defense looked like that the number wasn't – it was more than they wanted to be. So you also run into, like, how much time purely have you spent on the field if your defense is going three and out, um, which they did. Well, they, so 
again, they were we were. My, it's ironic. Mike and I were talking about this before the show. They were fourth in the in the SEC in yards per play on offense. They beat a top ten Pac twelve championship team in Utah. Right. I think in, I think in year number one with an empty cupboard. We've talked about this last week on the show. I I think I think last year was fine. Right. I don't think it was great. Well, their but defense was wasn't helping them out. Yeah, defense sucked. It was terrible. Yeah, I mean, it was really bad. They don't. They, and then, Mike, I don't know if, what you see this year, but I don't see dudes on the defense either, especially along the, the the front line. I mean, Ventral Miller's gone. Like, I just don't see dudes. And now you're running Graham Mertz out there again. I think it's okay to expect Graham Mertz to be the best Graham Mertz he's ever been. Yeah. But, but is that like a the twelfth best quarterback in the SEC? It might be. I don't know. Now all this shit we're Congrats. talking, I'm, I'm still <laughs> picking them to whoop Utah's shit. ass in the opener. Trust me. Uh, uh, that, they're like a 10 point underdog in that game. It'll be fun to watch. Rice Eccles Stadium out in Utah is, is pretty awesome. So, uh, all right, quickly to Missouri, they land what what amounts to one, two, three best player in the country. Uh, defensive lineman uh, Williams Winari, uh, depending on again, I think that's how you say it. I apologize, Mr. Williams, if I butchered your name there. Uh, the Eli Drinkowitz has recruited Luther Durden. Uh, Luther Burden, excuse me, was a number three player in the nation. Um, when Missouri has been good, and this is my takeaway from, from this piece of news, when Missouri has been good in the past 15 or 20 years, they have done it on the backs of landing the big fish in their state. Whether that was Blaine Gabbert and Chase Kaufman back in 07 and 08, back in those days, you know, Chase Daniel, like like they went back and got uh, Terry Beckner, who was from East St. Louis, which technically is Illinois, but basically in state. Sheldon Richardson in 09 was a five star top 30 player in the nation. Uh, Dorio Green Beckham in 2012 signed with them when they won the SEC East. <laughs> so I think if you're a Missouri fan, you're excited about this because I think you, you kind of have to have big names in state if you expect to be at your best. And so that's my first takeaway is. Great news to get the recruit, obviously. For sure. But historically, Missouri has been at its best when it can win those big battles in state, and and that's that's a big sign for 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 old Eli uh, this offseason. Well, mm-hmm. credit to the state for uh, you know making the NIL law so favorable, and I just can't believe the backlash. I mean, I guess we should anticipate it, Braden, with all these people that are against. Uh, you know, Williams going to Missouri, staying home for the in-state school. Everybody, I guess they want every damn elite player to go to Georgia or Ohio State or Alabama. And I, I just think it's the height of stupidity because these are the same people that sit here and bitch every offseason that the playoff is the same three or four teams. That is boring, yeah. Year after year. Mm-hmm. And yet when we get a five-star that goes Missouri – Oh, well, he's doing it for the bag. He'll be transferred in a year. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz is a dork. He sucks. He's going to get fired. Uh, why don't we celebrate these things? Because that makes Missouri more competitive. Yeah. And also people bitch about how the East is down and it's Georgia and nobody. Well, I mean, if he wasn't going to Missouri, he's going to Georgia. And I realize that uh, it's probably not going to impact Georgia whatsoever because they'll have 50 other five stars on the defense. But he could be a landmark player for Missouri. He's yeah. not going to turn them into you know champions overnight or anything. But he he could be a, a domino. There's another five star receiver thereafter in state, Ryan Wingo, who everybody in the SEC wants. I'm not saying they're going to get him, but I, I don't know. I just it's good think it's, for it's good for the game. I think it's despicable. All these people that are that are complaining about this. So I have not seen all of that. I don't know about you, Aaron, uh, but I've not seen all that. But it makes sense. It tracks. I don't people. live in the Twitter sewers as much as y'all yeah, do. True. That's true. But I, I'm um, always happy to see a kid that that can make a difference from in-state, stay in-state. 
Braden lost all. Hold on, I'd love to read this. Hold on, Braden lost all credibility. Braden lost all credibility in live show number one, suggesting Mizzou is at risk of being booted from the SEC. Let's give him. Not what I fucking said. It's not what I fucking said. We are two. We are twelve minutes into the show, and people have been putting shit in my mouth. Now, cut that. No can do, my friend. Live. No, no. What I said. What I said. I did not suggest that they were going to get booted from the SEC. What has been suggested is that the the new college football entity, whatever it is, when they pick the top 40 teams to play in their sport and kick everybody else out. You did say you didn't think not Missouri every or Vanderbilt were going to be in that. Maybe and Mississippi State, maybe it. Kentucky. You could throw a few others in there. But guess what? Half the ACC and half the Big Ten might be in trouble, too. I'm just suggesting that's something to keep an eye on. I'm not saying that the SEC would. The SEC will never kick a team out of its conference. Is that fair? Can I can we can we move on now? I love Missouri. Yes. I've been talking up Missouri for three months now. You really do defend Missouri most of the time. I think they got a great defense. I think they're going to shut people down. You've it's been drinking be the you've been drinking the Eli Drinkwitz Kool Aid for a minute too. Yeah, and not he's everybody lot, gets along with Eli. <laughs> he's a lot nicer off camera. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think Missouri is going to be very good, very dangerous. Uh, I think seven or eight wins is absolutely possible, and I think they got LSU at home, right? I think they can beat them. Uh, they got some really tough games that I think they can actually win. So before you totally move on from that too, I think that this says a lot about this. There's a recruiting factor to this, obviously with, with what they have been able to do in securing these guys. Cause it's not going to just being in state is not enough. Like you have to know that you're going to fit into a system and that the coaching staff cares and they're going to let you do what you think you're best at on the field. Otherwise you're going to go to whatever, Ever coaching staff is saying they're going to do that, whether they're actually going to do it or not. And he did say, like, Missouri has been on me from the very beginning and yeah. that he's going to be coming off the edge and rushing the quarterback. You know, he's going to be actually dropping into coverage at times. Like, he's like, I see my vision for myself, and it's aligned with the, the coaching staff that Missouri sees for me. And so for that reason, and probably also being the hometown hero, like he equated. Yeah, that's, that's not always enough. That to me is what Matt like to Mike's point though. It's like if enough kids just stayed at home and wanted to be like that, and I'm and, and again, he's getting the bag too, so fine. But not a single one of us, not one of you in the comments, and not one of the three of us doesn't take the bag. Everybody takes the bag. The university takes the bag, the TV people take the bag, the coaches take the bag, the players take the bag. Every human being I know takes the bag. So don't I don't I don't think that's a big deal. But the fact that he gets to stay at home and sort of want to be a part of building something, if that is in fact what happens. That's that's how you build Missouri football. Yep. That's what's cool. And that's what's fun. And um, to go back to uh, and I'm scrolling up here and quick on the comments because uh, Breaking Parallels said this. And this this will dovetail into our conversation about coordinators. Missouri's had a good defense, but they can play winning. But can they play winning offense? Something they supposedly hired Eli to do. They did hire Eli to develop quarterbacks. That hasn't, that hasn't happened. So we fired himself and he hired Kirby Moore. And we're going to get to the coordinator in just a second. But I want want to comment real quickly on. Vandy practice because I had a chance to go out there and I want to see what you think about this. So I was told um, that Vanderbilt and I saw a few big hits in practice when I was out there. I've been out there a couple of different times and I was told that Vanderbilt is more physical and hits more in practice than all other teams in the SEC. Now, an anonymous coach told us that and it's probably the highest compliment that you can pay a football team that no matter what the score is, they can't tell what the score is by watching tape of how the defense plays. Meaning it doesn't matter if you're up by 40 or down by 40 or a tie game, their defense plays equally as hard on every snap. And I saw them hitting a lot at practice. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means anything for their record. 
maybe it does. Maybe it means they win some of those 50 50 games. Mm-hmm. I'm taking, are we taking the over three and a half? I think we all are. I just thought that was an interesting note that Vanderbilt of all teams, they don't care about the portal and they want to hit harder than everybody else in practice. Is that the right way to do it? Uh, I think so. Well, look at the schedule. <laughs> They're just going to beat the shit out of Hawaii and Alabama <laughs> A&M. But, hey, that strategy sounds good. But what happens when you get to Kentucky, Missouri, Florida, Georgia, on and but on you and just, on? To hit, I, the, hit the over, you just got to win one. Oh, I got you. But, I mean, the goal at Vanderbilt, Clark Lee says it himself, is not, it's not to hit the over. To hit the, over. The, yeah. the, the goal is to, to go to the postseason. So they got to win a couple SEC games. So, I mean, I do like it, but – I just hope we got enough bodies because look at, I mean, just look at the final stretch at Florida, Georgia, at Ole Miss, yeah, Auburn, South brutal. Carolina, Tennessee. Uh, I don't know how many guys are going to have available if they're beating the shit out of them in practice. <laughs> and those games that sometimes tip one way or the other, like we always play Ole Miss close and that one's at home. Is that right, Mike? Uh, yeah. Ole Miss this year is on the road. Yeah, on oh, the sorry. Road. So, so that's like a, t- like that's a teetering game for Vanderbilt. Like no matter how good Ole Miss is or how bad Vanderbilt is or vice versa, that game is always like they play to each other. The game is almost always close. Mm-hmm. And then South Carolina and Tennessee can also be like tipping games and go either direction, but those are, they're all away. So well, I do think that that's going to be hard. <laughs> so Jared says, wow, didn't realize, but Vandy has a very favorable schedule. I, I, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you could argue that because Wake Forest is way down this year relative yeah. to how good Wake Forest has been. The other three mm-hmm. games are, are winnable. They don't play what is probably the top three teams in the West but right. on paper. On paper, they don't play AM, LSU, and Bama. They miss Arkansas. Uh, Auburn could be quite good by, by November 4th. Yeah, they we, could we, be. Don't, we don't know. They also weren't expected to beat Kentucky or, or Florida last year, and they did. So uh, I, I just think I think I would take the over on three and a half. I don't think they're going going bowling, but I do think it's interesting because I I go to Titans practice all the time, and like the NFL has such strict rules on hitting mm-hmm. that you can only hit like once a week in the NFL. The SEC's got less rules, but some rules. And if you're Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Brian Kelly or Jimbo Fisher, like, do you want to beat your guys into like they don't? Those teams don't do that. I would argue it's because those teams are far more physical. <laughs> and one than, other interesting thing to, so. to note on this schedule, the final four games, they get six weeks to prepare for them because there's two buys thrown in at the final four, well, you know, six weeks of the schedule. Yeah, they don't play the 18th. Four yeah. games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and credit to Clark Lee. I mean, I'm kind of yeah. joking about beating the hell out of his guys, but they always, at least the two years we've seen them at Vanderbilt, they, they're better by the end of the season than they are at the beginning. So, Clearly, they know what they're doing. In, I think in they could win regard. five, which I would be very happy about if we okay. were playing. Favorite. I think they can. I think they. I mean, I think they can match last year. AJ Swanett looked looked way way better uh, in camp. I think he's going to be a nice player. Uh, and we'll get to the coordinator issue because they're only one of two teams in the conference that have a quarterback and a coordinator back. A- Alex says, "I haven't seen the other two hosts. We are we do we are new to that SEC podcast platform, and um, Mike is new to our audience on the podcast. Uh, so we do appreciate the opportunity." They've kind of talked like we should know what they've said in the past. No, we don't. Can we get a plug from where they're from? Aaron, no, we're just uh, trying so, to tell you what we said in the past. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, SEC Football Live is, is an artist formerly known as Fringe Element. It's just SEC Football Live. Uh, it's a show that we've been doing on, on my network, 440 Sports, for a long time, a couple of years now. Uh, and uh, Mike and I have sort of been following each other for a while. And it's always we've been guests on each other's shows for a while. And I just we thought we wanted to go live and talk to you guys. And sure enough, you guys are blown up the comments and we appreciate it uh so if you have any questions michael just tell you exactly he's good at putting words in my mouth so 
He'll just exactly. tell you just tell you what I did or didn't say uh, in the past. Okay, so that gets us into coordinator quarterback, and I and I the one I want to start with, which is the one that I think means the least. Okay, and, and that is Tennessee. I don't think it it's it, it's a brand new coordinator. Joey Halsley takes over. Alex Golish is gone, but really, really. Uh, is it is it anything more than Josh Heupel's offense at this point? But he's our, and he's already been the QB coach, so he, he's it's a, yeah. it's one of the most seamless situations that they could be in. And I'm with you, Braden. I'm not sure it would really matter, even if it wasn't him. But I think it will be even that much more seamless because he has the knowledge of the system, knows the passwords, all that jazz. And I hear he's a great guy, so I'm not going to bash him like Braden. But uh, what you see from Heupel <laughs> since he's been at Tennessee, a couple guys have have moved on. It, former uh, coordinator, of course, now head coach at South Florida, uh, the, the former receivers coach to the NFL. He's promoted from within at tight ends and receivers coach, and yeah. they haven't slowed down. So I I know he's very protective of his scheme and and not sharing too much details with other people. And and that's part of the interview process, too. You, you kind of have to explain a, a lot. And, and I think Nick Saban's brought people in just to pick their brain and then kick their ass out the door <laughs> to to get intel yep. on on their scheme. And uh, so, hey, we'll see. And how sometimes this they plays even out. sometimes they even know it's happening too. They're like, oh, I'm, right. I'm just I'm just visiting, and Nick's going to get something from me, and I'm going to be here. I'm going to get something from him, and then I'll probably be sent on my way. Uh, I just I don't think there's a lot to talk about with that offense. I think we kind of know what it is. It's going to be very good. They're going to score 35 to 42 points almost every week. I think their championship upside hinges on Milton. That is that is what it is. Um, we've talked a lot about Texas A&M Wait, as well. Before you move on, can we? Yeah. Uh, let's address this Foster guy. Tennessee defense can't stop to park the bus. Hmm. Why do people say shit like that? I mean, do they are they just totally ignorant to winning multiple games through the defense, or did they just watch the South Carolina game? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've said it all off season. I probably should stop saying it, but the defense won them about four games last year of the uh, eleven games they won. Uh, I think the defense was, uh, I think the defense was better than people thought it was last year. But I still don't think it's elite. I still don't think it's on a top, on a top tier of of defensive units, even in the SEC. Well, Again, I'm not they saying were, they're elite, but by God, when you score fifty a game, you don't got to be elite. Well, that that's yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I'm looking at their their conference numbers. Uh, you know, they they gave up four point eight yards per play on defense in their five non conference games. Yeah. They gave up a full yard per play more in SEC play, 5.7 yards per play, over 400-plus yards in those eight conference games. So they they were significantly worse in conference than against Pittsburgh, which was the best team that they played basically in the non-conference. Clemson, I guess, Clemson. That, that one counts. Um, they just destroyed that offense. Yeah, Kentucky, so I – Another one, LSU, another one, Pitt. I mean, th- these are the game's defense. They wouldn't have won those games without the defense. Well, I think to your point about LSU, I don't think they won the game because of defense. Like Hooker had a good game, and they scored on some turn on some short fields, and they stopped, which, which, which they was went, a special teams, right? I think they stopped them every time on fourth down, and there was like four yeah. or five of them, and in the red zone as well. Here's my question for both of you: Do, Does does the recruiting class show up this year? I think that's the question for me. If if all those defensive linemen and front seven guys, if they're on the roster on the two deep this year, and they're mm-hmm. starting and they're playing meaningful snaps, then I think you're going to start to see some major growth. But I just wonder if they're ready yet. That's all. Well, and also something that's not been discussed with Tennessee, their linebackers have been borderline atrocious. And they had Jeremy Banks last year who, I mean, he was – I don't want to go into it, but, hey, he went on to the NFL. He's already been cut. They had another uh, – the, the guy, Juwan Mitchell, I think it was his name, from Texas. Transferred. He, tra- he transferred. He's been cut. 
I mean, these, and these were their starters. So, I mean, they were working with nothing. And they, they worked Aaron Beasley, the Orange Bowl defensive MVP. And they've got a couple five-star outside linebackers there now going into their second year at Tennessee. I mean, I, they added a transfer from BYU. He's a, a team captain there, and he's going to be automatic starter uh, at Tennessee this fall. I mean, I think linebacker is an area where they have upgraded significantly. I agree. Isn't it still okay to say, like, I, I, I need to – it's, I think there's so much I need to see it to believe it with a lot of these teams. Offense, defense, like Spencer Rattler, I need to see the consistency to believe it. Tennessee winning games with the championship caliber defense, need to mm-hmm. see it. I mean, you'd be L- I, I got so the same question for LSU. Like, I know. I mean, less than we ever had with LSU, but still. Sure, but like. Names. But qu- Tennessee does has done under Heupel things more quickly than even optimistic people with the Josh Heupel hire thought they could. I mean, I am oh, definitely sure. one of them. Like, I, I thought the hire was great, but I did not know he could do what he did that fast. So I do think I have the same questions, Braden. You know, ha- have those recruits, have those younger guys, are they at a point where they're – are they ready? Um, and I would say if – I don't know, but I think it's highly more possible than it would be under a different coaching staff because I have not seen people move with the speed that Josh Heupel has and with that program. Well, and it, uh, there's no question about that. He's vastly overachieved. I think even the most ardent and passionate Tennessee fan did not see beating Bama and almost having a Heisman Trophy quarterback and would have made the playoff if the expansion of the playoff had happened last year with ease. Yeah. And frankly, if there would have been no divisions last year, they would have rematched with Georgia in the SEC championship game. So really, they would have been an SEC championship football team in the game, at least, uh, last year. So I, I think he's way overachieved and ahead of you, schedule you so see this guy says nico 13 million is he worth the 13 million that's a made-up number eight, but yeah, but i think it's eight million <laughs> well my question to you guys is if he exceed expectations and let's say he he wins a heisman or tennessee wins a national championship what will that number balloon up to at that point i mean are we, are we going 30 million 40 million 50 million hell he's worth 100 million if, if they win a national championship well wh- what did the documentary say about manzel 30 his heisman was worth 37 million dollars and earned media <laughs> for texas a&m <laughs> yeah. this is the, here's the other thing People lose their minds about jerseys. Like, oh, we don't. We got robbed because so and so sold so many jerseys. Texas A and M made sixty grand that year selling jerseys. Like that, that that's not where the bag is. The bag is the forty million <laughs> that, right. that Menzel didn't get because of the the value of the product. Not, oh, I didn't. I missed out on a you know ten or fifteen or twenty grand in, in revenue on on some some jerseys that we sold uh all right quick quickly the two guys uh two very different well three three guys very different reasons that sort of demoted themselves and that is Jimbo Fisher down to Bobby Petrino with Connor Wigman I think we all agree we talked last week that that's something we're all buying into to keep onto the Missouri theme though and this is the one that's most interesting because Eli Drinkowitz is a under just as much pressure as Jimbo Fisher he, he demotes himself and hires Kirby Moore from Fresno State to be the guy, and they don't have the star quarterback that's set up yet. We don't know if it's Brady Cook or Sam Horn. I talked to somebody today that seems to think it's almost a 50-50 split, and I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. So I, I think a lot of this Missouri team and their upside this year, very good on defense, really good secondary, good defensive line. I think a lot of it hinges on is Kirby Moore the right guy. Are you guys buying Kirby Moore to fix the Missouri offense? Hmm. Well, it's got it's got to be an upgrade over what we've seen under old drink who like you like someone mentioned. I mean, I thought we were bringing them in to coach quarterbacks to run this offense. The offense has been holding them back. So I think options at quarterback, I, you say that may not be a good thing. I get it. But I think the last three or four years, they've not had options at quarterback. And I think that's what's been holding them back. So 
yeah, I'd, I'd rather have two options than none. And, you know, it came out at the end of the season that Brady Cook got hurt and he was playing through injury, and that's why he was struggling. I, I don't know how much I buy that, but I guess, you know, to an extent I do. But if your guy's got a torn labrum and you're still throwing him out there, what does that tell you about what they got behind him? Yeah. Sam yeah. Horn, a year older, hopefully a, a year better. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'd rather have two options than none, which I think they had last year. I mean, I, I when we were talking about before the show, we're like, are we doing hit or miss on – offensive coordinators like if we had to pick and I said hit on this one only because well a couple reasons but not good ones one was <laughs> one was um there's only really one way to go which is uh if Missouri can be sorry there's a comment hold on if Missouri oh, well I lost it Missouri can be undefeated going into the LSU game in Missouri it could be interesting for a moment can Momentum they beat Kansas State hmm. yep maybe they gotta be you they gotta be Kansas State the only other thing I was going to say about that is that I I like when I see OCs who have been quarterbacks coaches and vice versa. I think that definitely is a value add. It's kind of like any job, like you're going to be better if you've done every level before it. And I really do think that quarterbacks coaches exist well as OCs. And I I know OCs exist well as quarterback coaches. Sometimes they're not, they're not always, it's not always, it's sometimes it's yeah. circle inside of a square or vice versa. But I do, I like when people have filled both of those roles. I think it's like really valuable. Uh, Michael, what's the worst injury you sustained in podcast through it? Hmm. Well, I got in a car wreck like a week ago. That's but, true. Uh, did you really? I thought I was going to die. You, you didn't sustain any injuries though, did you? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm still hurting. Seriously? I, I push on through it. I don't even mention it. You're a, a fucking soldier, That's what you get dude. for living in Nashville. <laughs> People in Nashville cannot drive. I will go on the record with that. It's yeah, the, the guy jumped out of his car and ran into the woods, so it's all on me, too. Seriously? Hell yeah. You couldn't even track him down through his registration or in the car? Stolen, uh, stolen car. Holy shit. And I heard you told the story where he just like kept running into you, and it's like, that's insane. Uh, anyway, don't drive through Nashville, guys. It's just oh, Really? Just and you're not safe on foot, either. I would just... <laughs> <laughs> avoid it oh, man man uh yeah i had like i had like a like a slight cough one time and i i did some podcasting right through that you know just a, just a, <laughs> i'm an american hero <laughs> i podcasted through minty mental many a mental injury but yes. i don't know about physical yes nash vegas is scary to drive through that is that is true it's why we need to get the cars off the road but that's a story for a different show uh all right how about the new the new coaches here quickly uh philip montgomery been around football for a very very long time auburn had some interesting situational stuff happen this weekend of course Hugh freeze sounded like he was ready to name a starter but robbie ashford peyton thorne we're not sure of course phil montgomery's going to be there we'll get to mississippi state and kevin barbet taking over for mike leach of course in tragic fashion with but with but with a star established quarterback so of the two new offenses we, we obviously have higher expectations for the veterans coming back from Mississippi State and Will Rogers, but they are trying to change the offense to add a, a, a more diverse running attack to that game. Philip Montgomery's been around a very, very long time, but doesn't have the quarterbacks, but we do trust Hugh Freeze in a big way. So what do we make of the two new SEC West and frankly picked sixth and seventh? What do we make of the two coordinator quarterback situations at Auburn and Mississippi State respectively? I mean, we know Kevin Barbe is like – although he is trying to like get things going on the ground more and is going to present more of like a rushing offense approach. He does. He's very proficient in like a passing offense. So I don't think that transition is going to be so stark that it's uncomfortable for that team, but because he can still rely on what he knows about the passing game. What do you think, Mike? Well, 
I mean, I like both the hires, but I, the two biggest issues for me is personnel because I don't know that Mississippi State has got the right personnel at this point in time. I mean, they literally had not had a tight end on the roster since the first year of Joe Moorhead, and that's three coaches ago now. So they're running a system. They want to use tight ends. Uh, they lost Dylan Johnson, running back, transfer to Washington. Uh, I, you know, we Marks is a really good runner, but I don't know. He's never been a guy that can carry the ball 20 times a game. They may be having to ask him to do that, and I, and I don't know what they got behind him. So there are issues at Mississippi State, and virtually the same thing at Auburn. Montgomery, I think it, I, they could not have hired a better offensive coordinator, I don't think, to go to this Baylor-esque Art Briles system. Who He ran it with Art, but how much of that was Art? How much of that was Philip Montgomery? It's not like Tulsa lit the world on fire, but again, that's Tulsa. He's, right. he's got a lot better players at Auburn, but it's, it all hinges on – a new offensive line, new receivers, new quarterback, and their star running back suspended, possibly. I mean, there's just For so now. many, yeah. so many moving pieces with that Auburn offense, and and even Josh Heupel, who let's not go down to Tennessee rabbit hole again, but uh, Josh Heupel, Lane Kiffin noted as as two of the best offensive minds in the SEC. They didn't even necessarily hit the ground running year one, running a similar style, so. I think the future, both those programs, Auburn and Mississippi State, very bright, but particularly Auburn, their schedule, I don't think it's fair to sit here and be like, well, we're, we're, it's just going to do a 180. I, I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains. They're going to get somebody, though. They're going to, whether that's Bam at the end of the year or, you know, somebody. It's interesting, though, you mentioned Lane and, and Josh, because, like, I, I want to say the difference could be Hendon Hooker and Matt Corral. Like, didn't, wasn't Matt Corral there when Lane Kiffin got there his first year I believe yeah so but it was I've, not the, till the second year they really took off right but but again look at how good Hendon Hooker was even though he didn't start that year under Josh Heupel in the first season he won the job very quickly in week two against Pittsburgh and like you could see marked improvement from the way the offense functioned now you know the three of us could run a better offense than Jeremy Pruitt but that's neither here nor there Lane Kiffin did a great job with Matt Corral like you could see the makings of a good offense it didn't translate to wins Year two, they got to the 10-win mark, right? Year two for Tennessee, they get to the 10-win mark. I don't think it translates to wins. The difference is they don't have that guy on this roster. I, that's my question. Is Peyton Thorne, I think he's going to take care of the football better and be a better manager of the game. But I think Robbie Ashford's skill set and speed and athleticism fits the offense that Hugh Freeze wants to run better. So the question is, which one delivers more Ws and more progress in the future? And I don't, I don't, I don't honestly know. I think Will Rogers is going to be fine. I think he's a, he's a, He's a, he's a tough kid. I think there's going to be moments where we're just going to go, man, I wish he would have had like three years in a different system before this year. <laughs> if that, well, yeah, does, I, does that make sense? I think That's, it also, you got to look at LSU last year where I guess it's it's fair to say Jaden Dales was a success, but I think the main reason he started was because the offensive line was such a work in progress and they needed someone that could run. Yep. Yep. What if, what if Peyton Thorne is the better option, but the offensive line is such a work in progress. It may suit them better to start Robbie Ashford. I mean, I think that is fair to, to throw in there as well. I think if you talk to Cole Kubelik, the offensive line, which again, consider the source, Cole's generally pretty honest about this stuff. He's very bullish on like the upgrade in talent, but mm -hmm. he has no clue how quickly they're going to come together at Auburn mm -hmm. uh, because they're just, they brought guys from, from everywhere to fill in those spots. Um, crypto, Krypton Barton. What, what do you think about the entire ACC joining the SEC? I don't want to think about that. Don't want them. I want, I want to take like the three or four best and that's it. We'll, we'll call it a day. I'm cool with like, give me like Louisville 
Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech. Not Duke State, and Syracuse? No, I don't want those basketball schools. I'm good with football schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. I, I you know, I, I think whichever one of those two comes together the quickest is probably going to be the one that doesn't finish in the bottom of the SEC. Probably. Look at this. I mean, I, I, I'm not totally disagreeing with this guy. Uh, breaking parallels. Auburn overhyped this season besides beating Bama in 14 or 15. What has he done? Well, he beat the shit out of Kirby Smart. I'll tell you that. Remember that? I mean, it was like 44 to 10 or something like that. Oh, what year are you talking about? He's done many, many things. Are you talking, I just Kirby's don't know if they're year. all good. Well, so he Sorry, year, one, year one at Arkansas State. I think they went from like a one or two win team to like a nine or ten win team. Yeah, he won. I think he won double digit games at Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the I think the he beat Alabama story is valid. Also o- overlooks the other like eleven games of the regular season, which were good. They were good seasons. They were not elite seasons. And when you are hired by with that amount of money to coach at Auburn, you are hired to win national championships. So eight and four, nine and three, you didn't have to pay the twenty million dollar buyout. You could have just kept Gus and gone eight and four, yeah. nine and three. All right. When, so when he got I, fired, I don't think at, we know that yet. When he got fired in Oxford, who was the first guy that called him and, and hired him? You know. Uh, what are you, are you asking? Or are you setting me up to tell me? Uh, I mean, I know. I'm just curious if you, Jimmy Sexton. <laughs> well, no, it was Kirby Smart. They brought him in as a under oh, the table right. analyst. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you can sit here and say, uh, you well, know, I think he's a good coach. Yeah. But so does Kirby Smart. I mean, so I don't, I don't get Georgia fans bashing uh, Hugh Freeze. I, I, here, here's the way he, to define. He coaches a coach. at Auburn now. He's not, he's not our guy. <laughs> here's the simplest way to, to define a coach, in my opinion. Are you more afraid of Hugh Freeze at Auburn or Brian Harson? Case closed. Everybody knows the answer. Oh, I, I agree. I'm also more afraid for the women on campus, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, aren't we all? <laughs> so that's, a, that's a small part of the equation, but it's, it's fine. I don't think it is. I, th- I think that's why he's the coach down there. <laughs> uh, listen, I think Hugh Freeze, this is, this is my issue with Hugh Freeze in general. It's not about all the off the field stuff. I don't really care about paying players or whatever you want to do in your personal life. Mm-hmm. I don't care. You you want to you wanna pay for sex. I think it should be legal in this country. Go for it. Don't care. Uh, that's between you and your wife, not my business. Uh, what I care about is sliding up into DMs of sexual assault victims. That I care about. But on the football field, the only thing that matters is are you good enough to win <laughs> national championships? And is it worth the risk <laughs> to... <laughs> Make sure you use a flip phone, Hugh, okay? Uh, Josh, no, thank you for that. Thanks, Josh. No, I think... It, like this is this is what I don't understand about the risk. I think you're completely right, Mike, that he is far better than Brian Harson. I'm more scared of Auburn. There's no question. I don't know if he, he has not. This is not Urban Meyer. You hire Urban Meyer, everyone knows that he can win a national championship. Like we know, we know that for sure he can do that. I don't think we know for sure what the ultimate upside is of Hugh Freeze. We he's think made he's the really best. Good. Yeah, he's like made the best of some not particularly easy situations, but we don't know if the ceiling on that is a national championship. Yeah, I like to call him Gus Malzahn with baggage. I mean, that's what he is. And they yeah. ran Gus off. They'll, they'll probably run you off here in a couple of years too. I mean, if they go nine and three, a bunch and they're pretty good, which I think they will be, they'll be pretty good under Hugh freeze. The, the key is that that's not what you get hired to do at Auburn. You don't get hired to be pretty good. You get hired to be elite. Mm-hmm. Now, if he beats Saban's ass this year, let's build him a statue. I'll change my mind. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm that, not, that buys you like three to four years at least. 
I would not be surprised at a five and six Auburn team beating Alabama at the end of the year. I would not mm. be to get to bowl eligibility. I would not be surprised. Auburn is hard to beat in that place. They'll be much better at the end of the year than the beginning. How do we know what Alabama's doing at that point? Alabama could go a million different directions. You can uh, speak, never predict that of, game. Speaking of, by the way, uh, rate, review, subscribe, of course. If you're joining us for the first time, we do appreciate it every single Tuesday here on that SEC podcast and 440 Sports uh, YouTube pages. You can catch us if you want to. If you missed the show and you want to catch the podcast, of course, please go check that out as well. SEC Football Live. Um, every single Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Central Standard, God's Time. That brings us to Tommy Reese and Abalama. I, I, before we get into Reese and what the offense is going to look like, I th- I think I want to know who you think is going to be the starting quarterback week one and who's going to be the starting quarterback week three. That's what I want to know. Uh, I mean, I have no idea. So <laughs> it's just a complete guess, but I, I would assume Jalen Milrow. And I think I know the popular belief is I don't understand where this is coming from, but the popular belief is. Whoever they trot out week one is not going to be the guy. We that makes no sense to me. So I, I I'm sticking with Jalen Milrow. Unless they lose to Texas, they're not going to switch quarterbacks. Well, but you're pick, you're picking them to lose to Texas, and if I, all no, three quarterbacks are if the, all three quarterbacks are getting reps with the ones, and all three quarterbacks are about even, Jalen Milrow is the safest and most experienced. I think they're going to beat Texas by about twenty points. Okay, all right. Well, that's different than the stuff you've been selling me all summer. <laughs> well, I think. What do you think, Brad? I think he's right. I think Jalen Milrow is a starter. I, and I think they I think they want to play 2017 Bama football. The Tommy Reese, Notre, Notre Dame's entire ethos is like ground and pound, slow the game down. Uh, you know, that like I think that they know that's what they have to do this year. And if and I think they could be good enough to do it. I just don't know if it's good enough to beat Texas. Mm. I, I know we, we say this all the time about Bama. They were two, you know, they were two plays away from being eight and four. They were two plays away from being twelve and oh. So, I mean, Texas li- can't even compete places. in a Big Twelve. Why? Why are we anticipating they'll be in the <laughs> SEC? You know what I mean. So that—that's not the team I have circled. I, it's—it's it's about the rest of them: A and M, Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn. I mean, I think those are all losable games for Bama. I think they are as well. I think they will lose to A and M. But is it because of the offense? I—I I don't know. I don't know. I think I think the quarterback could change in week two. I don't think it's that crazy to say it could change in week two. Mike, quit put the drugs well, down. Well, why, what, then why don't they just <laughs> start that guy at. out of the opener? Well, come on. You know how this stuff works. Like, don't you think Brock Vandergriff is going to play in the first couple of games for Georgia, too, even though he might not start? Like, you just you play guys to get them reps and blowouts, and you just never know who. Like, I, I, I've seen this so many times at camps where a guy looks the part. Every snap and every practice, team drills, red zone, two minute. They look the part. And then the lights come on, and their brains don't work. I can't remember just, the last time that's at Alabama, though. The only one I can think of was when they started Blake Barnett, and he was god-awful, and they put in this freshman, Jalen Hurts. That's the last time I can remember them switching starting quarterbacks. Well, they switched in the national championship year. Right, that's, why they that, lost to, that's why they lost to Ole Miss. They went that, to Jacob Coker. Jake Coker won them a national championship because Saban was going back and forth with quarterbacks in 2015. Mm-hmm. So I, and then the Hurts well, thing. They sure and then Hurts don't have Derrick well, that was, that was, that was, that, I think that was that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they went back and forth again in 2017, like you said. So that's twice in the last few years that they, in the last seven years that they've done it. So I, I just, when you have Tua and Bryce Young, you don't, you don't bench your quarterback. <laughs> they sure as hell don't got one now. You know, what? it's amazing how that works. It is. Isn't it? 
Oh man. Um, all right. Does anybody have any comments about Tom Reese? I know, I know you're down on Bama this year, Mike. Oh, Aaron, he's he's the worst. He's the worst. That's um, high, high quality scientific evidence there. I, I really, I have spoken freely and openly about the rest of these hires. I don't, I don't know, <laughs> which is okay. Braden and I also talk about this a lot. It's like it's okay not to know, and everything we're doing is speculation anyway. I I don't know how this Tommy Reese hire is going to be. And I'm not totally, I think Saban has a very strong hold on all parts of this team. So again, I think it's one of those, I think with Alabama, it always matters less. The coordinators always matter less than they do at other schools. I, I do not know how this is going to pan out. Oh, wow. So was somebody banned. I, I put them in timeout. Is that like what just happened? In timeout. Yeah. What just happened? Why also, did someone happen? said, where's cousin Shane? It's me. He just looks different. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, where, yeah, what, what, what did that, what, what did the UGA boy for life say? What, yeah, what did he say? Um, I mean, I know. no need to give him no time. racial epithets on the show, please. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. None of that. Let's just go uh, with that. So he's a timeout. I'm time not out. Okay. I'm not a banner. I'm a timeouter. Timeout. <laughs> you're, you're ready for parenthood. <laughs> go <laughs> yes, go sit are. in the corner. Go sit in the corner. Uh, all right. So I'm sure this is going to, uh, I, there's, I've got two. So there's three guys with NFL experience. That are all coming back. <laughs> I agree with you, Go Hogs. People are too sensitive and get butthurt too easily. I agree with that. Uh, I agree with that. For those of you not watching on the YouTube channel, uh, okay. Uh, so three guys, NFL experience, back to college, and have fairly established quarterbacks. At least guys that have played a lot of college football. And I find these three to be possibly the most interesting in the entire conversation because it could lead to teams that are playing for 10 win seasons, or it could lead to teams that have five win seasons. And I think we have Vero. There we go. Get ready for the dog show. Here we go. <laughs> because that's the one I don't, that's the one I'm the most concerned about is, is Dow well, So we know you hate South Carolina. So I go do. On. I do. I hate you. Danny, Enos at Arkansas. You got Liam Cohen at Kentucky. And you got Dow Loggins at South Carolina. Now, I covered Dow Loggins when he coached for the Tennessee Titans, not considered to be one of the brightest offensive minds in the NFL. That doesn't mean it's not going to be great in South Carolina. And when you read the reports uh, and scouting reports about Spencer Rattler, it's about simplification. And what did Marcus Satterfield, who I also don't think is all that special, who left to go to Nebraska, what, why did Spencer Rattler finally, why did it click at the end of the season? They simplified. They simplified everything pre-snap. They simplified everything post-snap. And my question for Dow Loggins is, what is it going to look like? Now, we've even got a potential injury to their number one player in Juice Wells. I think they've got some really nice tight ends. Trey Knox is going to be sneaky good. But they're going to have to score a boatload of points against a lot of really, really, really good teams. Yes, Todd, Satterfield was terrible. He didn't figure it out until like week nine, and then they finally slowed the offense, simplified the offense. They got a really tough schedule, guys. So Dow Log, we'll start with Loggins. Are we are we buying Loggins as a hire? Because I I am I am not. Well, Braden, maybe you missed it, but five SEC schools interviewed him. I, that was one of the talking points. Of course, none of them hired him, so I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't really understand why that's like. You know, he he had great interviews, just no one hired him. Uh, but I don't know. I, I mean, I'm in total wait and see mode. I, I'm a big believer in Shane Beamer in in the culture. And clearly they overachieve every year. I know it's only been two years, but they overachieve and they've been overachieving with the worst offensive coordinator in the SEC. So, you know, if he's an upgrade, they'll, they'll be even better. But 
I don't know. I, I just think they're thin in key positions on, on both lines of scrimmage. That's where everybody overlooks. And now that Juice is banged up, you mentioned Trey Knox. He's banged up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't think either of these are significant by any means, but that's not what you want to hear when you got North Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Tennessee in the first five weeks of the season. You, you need these guys. You need them at 100%. You need Spencer Rattler firing on all cylinders because, like you said, they're going to have to outscore people. And can they do that with a new system, with your left tackle out for maybe the entire year? I just don't see it. But I'll tell you what, I think South Carolina would rather me be doubting them than blowing smoke because <laughs> I'm true. I'm wrong so often and they overachieve. So I'm just going to keep doubting them. And, uh, you know, that'll be karma coming back and, and biting me when they're 9-3 and three this year. Mike, I'm not trying to put you on the spot because there's nothing worse than someone on air trying to produce a show um, in real time. But do you have South Carolina's schedule? You know, it's, to avert your eyes, not safe for work. This, this is not safe for work, guys. This is scheduled pornography. Oof, look at that. Oh, Damn. my God. Oh, my God. That sucks so bad. Okay, November 4th and 11th. There you go. But also, <laughs> Kentucky and Clemson. Oh, my God, that's brutal. Damn. And the, another thing, you know, all the, all the great things we can say about Beamer, they have started slow both years. So you, you cannot true. afford to do that. North Carolina and Charlotte, college game day. I mean, the hype, the anticipation. You get embarrassed on national television. This, this is the night game. The week one slate this year is kind of weak. So I, I'm not poking fun at South Carolina, North Carolina, but the fact that it is prime time Saturday night, it's going to have more eyes on it than just about any uh, non-conference uh, you know, game South Carolina is going to play this year. Furman at home, that's an easy win. But then at Georgia, Mississippi State at home, mm. which you, you cannot overlook at people <clears> – <throat> Are just penciling that in as an automatic. They shouldn't. Win. They should not. At Tennessee, Florida at home. Florida beat the hell out of you. You beat cannot. Right, yeah. You cannot. They, they've never beaten Missouri um, nope. under Drinkwitz. Nope. At AM. At AM, nope. they've beaten one time. Historic as rivalry. Historic <laughs> rivalry. South Carolina, Texas. <laughs> I, I mean, this is this is tough. It, it's it's really it's really beyond brutal. tough. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, uh, quickly here, and this ties into South Carolina to some degree. Miz SEC says, "I know this is more of a conversational show, blah blah blah, but wants to know what our predicted order of finish for each division is." We're not going to go through the entire division because he says, "Other than Braden having Missouri seventh, I actually no, have, he has Vanderbilt. I I have Van, Vanderbilt seventh. I have Missouri at fourth. I have mm-hmm. Missouri. I have Missouri at fourth. I have South Carolina fifth, Florida sixth, and Vanderbilt seventh." I, mm-hmm. I haven't decided yet between Tennessee and Kentucky. I probably will go Tennessee at two and Kentucky at three. I think the game in Lexington decides that. And I think Georgia at one is the only sure thing in all of this entire conference. So you went South, Georgia you went one. Mizzou, South Carolina for the bottom part, Mizzou, South Carolina, Florida, Vanderbilt. Yeah. Vandy seven, Florida I'd, six, I'd South Carolina flop. five, Missouri four. I would flip flop Mizzou and South Carolina, but otherwise the same order in the bottom. I, I think they're all seven and five. Like it's it, like there's I don't think there's a huge difference. I think maybe eight and four, but they're all going to be about the same. Hmm. Man, Why are you laughing at me? I mean, way to go out on a limb there. Everybody's the same. Got it. I said Missouri's fourth. <laughs> I, I didn't. I, I, I said Missouri. I said South no, Carolina's no, fourth. No, Braden says everybody's seventy-five. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> are, have you okay? In all, in in very serious non-hot take content here, mm-hmm. is this not one of the most balanced conferences outside of Georgia at the top? From two to fourteen, I have never seen the SEC like this. We yeah. have questions at quarterbacks. We just talked about all the coordinators. We haven't even gotten to Danny Nose yet and Liam Cohen. 
I've never seen a league where we're going to have three and a half point spreads going into almost every game, every Saturday. I think it's going to be fucking great. Yeah. But, but they are kind of similar. And I'm, I'm, pu- I'm putting my stake in the ground, Missouri at four. I think that's there a pretty bold be, statement. There used to be like, like in the entire SEC, the, the top two teams, or sometimes one, no question, that all, right below the top tier, and there was an there was four there was four sections in the SEC. Now there's like uh one, two, one two. and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but think about it. Tennessee was miserable. Now they found their guy. Kentucky's got the best football coach they've had in the history of their football program. Shane Beamer's overachieved two years in a row. Missouri's recruiting better than they've recruited in a long time. Lane Kiffin's the best offensive mind Ole Miss has had maybe ever, including Hugh Freeze. Like maybe like you just keep going down the list. Mike Leach, rest his soul, is what built Mississippi State to to where they are roster wise today. Like you just they're just good. They're just good coaches and good teams. I don't I don't. Well, I mean, I think that's I think that's a fine talking point, but I don't think that's how it's going to be because you know we sit here and 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 study this stuff and talk about it all off season. Well, then once the fall comes, momentum picks up, injuries happen, so many things. But I think that's a product of the transfer portal. And specifically in the SEC, you know, there's holes on every roster, but they, you know, most of them have done such a good job. Okay, we need defensive line. Well, let's load up in the portal. We need secondary. Let's load up on the portal. So these perceived holes, they filled with bodies. We don't know if they're going to, you know, perform well at their new schools, but we just... You know, we're just looking at it on paper, and I think that's a product of it, and I think that's why the SEC is so strong, because if you play in any other conference, specifically the lower G5 level or FCS, and you get that SEC offer, you're going to jump at it more times than not. I would also argue, if you go back and look at James Franklin at Vanderbilt's nine-win season, and you look at the coaches he was coaching against, Joker Phillips, Derek Dooley, Jim McElwain, like, let's be very clear about the quality of coaching in this league. It is significantly improved. So I think, I think you're right too, Michael. I think it is all the things that make SEC programs, the ones with the money and the passion better. Um, And by the way, every year you do hear this about Kentucky and twice they've they've won 10 games. (laughs) What are you talking about? We hear this every year. This is the other one. This is my other favorite one. You'll appreciate this one, Michael. Uh, Every year, Tennessee's picked to win the East and then they don't do it. I'm like, They've been picked to win the East one time in 15 years. They're not picked every year to win the East. They're just not. One time. One time under Butch Jones, they were picked to win the East. One time. Yeah. One time. Okay, Danny Enos, Liam Cohen here. We'll wrap up this conversation with uh, KJ Jefferson, Devin Leary, lots of starts. One's at a new place. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, Liam Cohen comes back in a kind of a strange (laughs) one-year affair with with his old with his old fling, his old flame out there in Los Angeles comes back, uh, and then KJ Jefferson returns and is with Danny Nos. Uh, who do we? This is two teams that I know. Aaron, you guys, you guys both love Sam Pittman. You both love KJ. Mike, I know you've been high like all three of us have been on Kentucky. What do we make of the new offenses in Lexington and and Fayetteville? Mike, can go ahead. I think the one I'm more confident in is Kentucky, just because Liam Cohen was there so recently. And a lot of the guys on that roster currently were guys they recruited when he was on staff there. So they, they already fit his system. Uh, they've added via the transfer. Again, going back to what I just said, they had big deficiencies on the offensive line. So they added a couple transfer offensive linemen. If they, they don't have to be the, the best offensive line, but they just can't be God awful like they were. Um, and I, 
I've said this a million times. I'll say it one last time. I, I think Will Levis was horribly overrated. I think they've upgraded with Devin Leary. So, yeah, I mean, I think Kentucky's all the pieces are there for another 10-win season. It would be their third 10-win season in six seasons. We say this every year. Well, they've done it half the damn time, so that's pretty damn good. Uh, Ark- and then Arkansas, yeah. I mean, I, I got nothing bad to say about Arkansas, but I'm just – I think I'm a little bit more hesitant yeah. in, on Dan Enos. And, it, hell, Dan Enos, Dan Enos has done a hell of a job for Arkansas. But the thing that kind of disturbs me a little bit, I've heard Sam Pittman say, you know, we want to do a little bit more of what we were doing at Georgia. We want to bring that to Arkansas. And that sounds great, but you don't got Georgia talent. Even though I do think you got the best quarterback and maybe the best running back, offensive line was not getting it done last year. Yeah. They've got two very young tackles, promising tackles, but they ain't Georgia tackles. And then and uh, once the weapons, again, the weapons are not great. The receivers, once again, are all essentially yeah. transfers or sophomore yeah. players. They just lost a promising sophomore to the season. So I am a little bit more cautious on Dan Enos, but again, he has done it before, so I'm not doubting him, but I just got more faith in uh, Kentucky's offense, if that makes sense. Well, with Enos, for me, it's like, I mean, I – we know he knows how to like get an offense going quickly and he has like jumped around quite a bit. So there's like pros and cons to that. Cause yeah, has he's seen a lot of things and like he's what his this sixth job or he's on like six or seven. Like his career journey is bizarre and the whole Saban thing and how he left Bama also mm-hmm. bizarre. But he's seen a lot. Like but like is there cons- like and, and Arkansas's program is very like a lot of those guys are going and staying, or at least that's what Sam Pittman wants. He wants to like have that familiarity and, and build it. I mean, I, I mean, he has, he is familiar with the landscape at Arkansas. So I think that'll help. Um, I, I don't really know much else I, to say besides that. I think Dan Enos is good stepping in quickly. If he's got a starting quarterback, like, does that make sense? Like KJ Jefferson is an established player. And is one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. I think he, Dan Enos, will maximize that. If you ask Dan Enos to over a four or five year period of time, truly take a, a, a like a young player and mold him and develop him into a star, I don't think that's what he's best at. I think this year it will work really well with KJ Jefferson. I'm concerned about the rest of the supporting cast around him. Uh, whereas Kentucky, best receiving core they maybe have had in a long time. You got Ray Davis at tailback. I, I think Leary is as good. The defense, I think, is better at Kentucky. The schedule's maybe even a little bit easier at Kentucky. So I'm with you. I'm last last week we said on the show the team we're buying to over overachieve is AM and Kentucky. Arkansas, I I think you're gonna see pro style elements from KJ Jefferson this year, and it's gonna work sometimes. Yeah. Once KJ leaves, that's what I don't know about. Like when he's gone next year and you're asking Enos to to truly build a new offense with a new quarterback. That's my concern with him. So, and again, I, to your point, Michael, like I, I think the weaponry is a bigger concern than even I thought in this preseason going into camp. I was like, oh, I think they'll find some guys. They got Rocket. Like, I think it'll be good. And I think they're going to put everything on KJ. And I, that's how he ends up hurt and missing games. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm. I get. I think I had Ole Miss ahead of Arkansas in my predictions. I think I had him at fifth, and I think that's where I'm sticking with it. So. Uh, you, you mentioned Kentucky's schedule. It's it's as awful as Georgia's. I don't know why no no one references one, two, that. Three, four. The, well, it's it's pretty back <laughs> they got, heavy. They got Bama though in crossover. Like it, having having to play Georgia and Bama is not in Tennessee. This is a not, good example of like Louisville's how much quality. momentum can fall in your favor. Like they could easily go five yeah. and zero, oh, and like 
there's something to be said, like, yeah, George, George is going to be tough regardless, for sure. No question about it. But there's something that, like, momentum is, like, one of those X factors that, you know, you can't really say just because you win four games in a row, you're going to win a fifth or a fifth, you're going to win a sixth. But it definitely helps, I think. I, to me, that Mississippi State game is always weird. Even I think I think we asked, talked to Will Rogers about it at Media Days. Like he's like, "Yeah, I'm so glad we got them at Starkville because weird shit happens in that game." Uh, I I think I think you're right, Aaron. If they get on a roll and things start to work, all of a sudden you beat Vanderbilt, then you get to Florida, and if you beat Florida, I think fl- they get three big games at home this year. When you get Florida, Tennessee, and Alabama all at home, if you just win, t- if you can win two of those, you're probably yeah. you're probably gearing up to a nine or ten win season. So. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're all buying in on Kentucky. That's two episodes in a row. We're, we're, we're blowing up Kentucky. So, uh, scrimmages all across the sec taking place. I'm not sure what any of us are learning about anything, but it's happening all across the, the conference. We are how many days at time of taping? How many days away are we from college football in the sec? 18 from week one. And then so 11 from week zero. Uh, are you, are, are we going to the game now, Mike? I heard you discussing that, that you might, you might attend a game. I might have to be there. I'm, I all all nineteen thousand seats. <laughs> <laughs> Ticket, uh, good ticket. Good tickets still available for the Hawaii Vanderbilt game. Yeah, Brutal. Brutal. I, I may decide the day of and, and just walk right in. I would imagine be on the fifty yard line. Would okay. you? Would you? T- if Aaron was throwing a tailgate party, would you show up and tailgate and drink beer and wear Vanderbilt gear? I I won't wear Vanderbilt, but I'll do the rest. All right. You gonna wear Hawaii stuff? <laughs> <laughs> no i don't i don't believe it or not i don't have any hawaiian shirts i probably should get one though. A deep hunter green will do we could find some hawaii gear for you there's yeah. no problem there <laughs> just a lay i don't know i don't have a problem wearing opposing teams gear as long as i'm going to the stadium without my favorite team there right yeah that's like i got no sense. problem with that it's okay to, it's okay to be an adopted child for a day like it's totally fine I don't, also I think being a vanderbilt fan ain't hurting anybody <laughs> Let's be they, they, need, they need the charity, Mike. We're like everybody's <laughs> favorite game. They're like, oh, great. We're so happy to have you. We're like, we know why. Thank yep. you. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. Well, we appreciate all you guys jumping into the comments. Always a pleasure hanging out with all of you. You guys are wonderful and amazing and spectacular. You're very real. And many people are talking about it. Uh, for Aaron Dugan, <laughs> he is Mike Braddon. Please check us out on the socials. Aaron, where can people find you? The Aaron Dugan on Twitter. Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. Mike, where can people find you? As as if anybody needs to know, but go ahead and tell them. Yeah, I got too many. Just find me. Yeah, you'll find me. (laughs) Uh, You can get to me at Braden Gall. I'm not. I'm still calling it Twitter, and I'm going down with the Twitter ship. I will bathe in the sewers all football season long, so come hang out with us. Uh, No problem there as well. For Aaron and Mike, I'm Braden. Thanks for hanging out with us. Tune in next week, everybody. This has been SEC Football Live. Later. Later.